I love this time. This is uh, the first time all week that I get to, uh, get to wear pants. I'm just kidding, I'm not actually wearing pants. That's weird, because you can't see. You don't know if I'm telling the truth or not. All right, so let's just get started. Uh, I'm just kidding, I am wearing pants. But anyways, in all seriousness, this past week, uh, this past week was uh, a challenging week. Uh, challenging week in, in man, there is, there's an element of isolation. And, and when we think about our friendships, uh, there's that verse that, that Paul says, uh, good, good company promotes good character. He doesn't really say it like that. He actually says the antithesis. He says, bad company uh, corrupts good character. And so I think that's the part that is, that is true for us, is that we can look at the antithesis, that if we surround ourselves with good people, uh, likely good, good morals is going to flow from that place. And so when I say like this past week I was struggling, uh, I really was struggling. And there's some people in my life that I go to and I try to surround myself with uh, because I want to get better. I want to grow in those areas. And so uh, this past week I... I, I uh, I had a hard time with my kids. I had a hard time uh, just really functioning as an adult, a man of, of routine. I lost all elements of, of my routine, and I felt like after preaching, the, the hypocrisy of preaching a sermon about life doesn't have a pause button, and then, and then I got, life got the best of me, and I went back into uh, survival mode. Uh, and so in, from survival mode, I, I, went, I talked to my good friend Daniel Goodhue. Who, if you've ever met Daniel Goodhue, and if you haven't, you need to get to know him. He is the most patient human on the face of the planet. And every time I pray with this man, he is praying for pray patience. Ironic, huh? Maybe, maybe there's something there. He's always praying. He's the most patient man I know. And uh, and so we're talking. He's he's a stay-at-home. Uh, he's a stay-at-home dad, and regard not necessarily a stay-at-home, but he he works from home. His his wife is stay-at-home, and so he he what's what's happened in society is already what he's doing in society. He he already like this hasn't changed his home culture and so he gave me tips and tricks uh, and so you'll see you'll see on the screen behind me you'll you'll see my desk my desk I now have a it's right over here a whole bunch of sticky notes on my desk uh, that are tips from him tips uh, of, of different different pointers about how he just how he makes it through a day how he's still productive but how he he loves his family and so for me that was so important because I want to live like a Christian I want to live as a man of faith. I, I want to, I want to, to be somebody uh, that, that practices his, his faith where, where, you know what, the, the character that I want from my kids is not going to be taught to them. It's going to be caught. They're going to have to see it in mom and dad. And so for me, I think the issue for you and I is that we understand how to live as a Christian, but we fail to make it a lifestyle. We fail to rep the king well. That was an issue for me this past, uh, this past week. And so what I, what I want to do is I want to read, uh, this, is, this goes against kind of sermon logic, but I don't really care at this point. And there's nothing logical about anything going on right now. I want to read the first uh, 19, uh, 19 or so verses uh, in chapter, uh, chapter 2. So we're in, we're in the book of Philippians. We've been working through. We're going to finish up the Endless Growth series here and, uh, and, and growing in our faith. And I want to read chapter, I just, we did chapters 1 and 2. I just want to read chapter 2. And what I want you to do is in the comments, as I read this, this chapter, I want you to comment elements of Christian living. I want you to comment things that you could apply right away to your day-to-day -day lives. And what you could do, doesn't mean you are doing it, but pick up, follow along with me, and, 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 and comment below uh, elements of what you could be doing in your Christian life that's just mentioned here, Christ's example, and then how you and I uh, ought to live. 
So this is how chapter two starts. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Something to apply there. But in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man, not being found and being found in, in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him every, the name, his name, above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says, there, this is what we talked about last week. Therefore, my beloved, uh, as you have always obeyed, so now, uh, also in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in both, of, both to will to do the work of his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or, di or disputing. Remember that from last week? That you may be blameless and innocent, uh, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as stars of light, holding fast to the word of life, so that on the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. There is a whole lot from that section, from chapter two, that you and I can apply to our daily lives. In the last two weeks, as we've talked about that, as you've been watching these sermons, what have you applied? What have you taken? What have you gleaned from scripture to change how you're living on your day-to-day -day life? What I want us to see now, as we close up chapter two, what Paul does is he highlights two people that are living. When you read through those comments, living the way in which that we should be living, applying what he's been saying. He highlights two people. And so I want us to see uh, how, how, he, how they have lived that out. I want us to see their example. I want us to glean from their testimony. So this first man is, is named Timothy. And so this is how our text uh, now begins in, in chapter 2, what we're, what we're looking at. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for others' welfare. He serves Christ from a good place, and in serving Christ, he's concerned about other people. For, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. I want, just a side note, I want that said of me. I, as someone's talking about Jason Koash, I hope they can say, I can speak of his proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So this goes deeper than classroom teaching. This is goes like, let's just take an eight-week course about the gospel. Like those are, those are good and whatnot, but now, now they've served alongside each other. He's, he's seen the gospel. He's heard the gospel. He's practiced the gospel with Paul. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will, also, uh, will come also. Timothy is a young man. He's a unique man. He's unique in that he has, as a young person, he's not self-obsessed. He is genuinely concerned about Jesus Christ, the Philippians, about other people. 
Paul and Timothy, they met about AD 50. Uh, Peter, or Paul would go on different missionary journeys. They met on, on, on Paul's second missionary journey. What makes Timothy unique is that he had a Jewish mother, uh, a Jewish grandmother, but he had a Gentile uh, in the context, an unbelieving father. And so Paul, Paul sees him. He sees that he's taught the scriptures uh, by his mom and his, his grandmother, and he sees that he's a person of faith. So we celebrate, we value an all-inclusive gospel message. That's critical for you and I, because that, that's played out right here with Timothy, who, who we would look at for Paul, his Jewish buddies would say, a Gentile, we want nothing to do with them. But as Paul has understood the gospel, the gospel is for everybody. We're not going to nitpick sins. We're not going to nitpick uh, uh, people groups. We're going to bring the gospel to everybody because the gospel is truly for everybody. Timothy with a Jewish mom and a Gentile dad is proof of that. So Paul sees him and sees somebody that's the perfect apprentice. Why? Because Paul has a heart to see the Jews and the Gentiles come to know Jesus. And so Timothy's a primed apprentice for the mission and the work that Paul wants to accomplish. His background is perfect. So he's ministering with Paul for, for decades. And in, in ministering with Paul for decades, he's proven his worth. They've been traveling around. They've been preaching the gospel. He's tested. He's approved. They've handled challenge together. He's been faithful to the gospel. He's proven his ability to carry on. He's proven his ability to be steadfast, to stick around, to not, to not be flaky. They've served along one aside one another, and it's made for a deep, deep friendship. Those you invest into, how are you investing? Can you say that you've served alongside one another or is it just the occasional status or tag? Or are you really serving? Are you really in grinding through this, this thing we call the mission of the church together? One person that I have been privileged to, to mentor over the years uh, is Jordan Arce. He, he was in my youth ministry. Uh, he, we have an infamous uh, mission trip together. We can talk about that another time. And, uh, and, and now we've, we've hired him on. He, he runs with our well youth. And so uh, I sat down with him over Zoom and uh, check, out, check out this clip. All right. Hey, we're recording. So this is new for me too. All right. So um, Jordan, this is part of the sermon. We're right in the middle of it um, talking about uh, Timothy, talking about people that um, really I've been blessed to mentor and come alongside. Uh, and I just see you in so many ways crushing it in the, uh, in the well youth uh, area of life for our church. And so three quick questions. Uh, first is a statement, your hat is ugly. Uh, so, uh, then three quick- uh, How many championships? Um, is, what are the, we know the current challenges in our community, in our nation, uh, yeah. in county. Uh, how are you seeing that impact well youth? Yeah, you know, we're facing, you know, there were some challenges straight off the bat that we were facing of, you know, all of our interaction with our students in the past had really been on a Tuesday night on a Sunday. Oh, are you frozen or am I frozen? All right, we're good. Um, you know, all those face-to-face -face interactions was something that we really built our program off of, you know, coming to play video games with each other, coming to play different games on Tuesdays. Um, so that was a big, that's a big challenge for us right now, you know, not being able to um, just build those relationships in that way. Um, that we had previously. Okay, yeah. So trying to find relationships are obviously important. We value uncommon relationships. And so the previous way of doing it now has to change. And so that 
gives way to my second question. So what innovative things are you doing to formulate those relationships and meet kids where they're at? Yeah. So this has been probably, you know, we were talking yesterday a little bit. This has been literally one of the most fun times um, that I've had in the ministry so far because it's just been like everything's brand new. And it's like a whole new front of what we're doing. And we're trying to, what we're trying to really do is meet kids where they are, you know, try to get to students where they're already at. They're already on YouTube. They're already on Netflix. They're already on TikTok, Instagram. They're already, they're already there. You know, they're sitting on their couches with their phones and tablets. And um, what we decided to do in order to get innovative is, is get there. So, you know, we opened up our TikTok two weeks ago. We've got, we've been doing a lot of messages on, um, on Instagram and doing Instagram lives and group chats. And, um, we're even using this old people thing, zoom here that we're on. <laughs> on uh, we're using zoom to do small groups throughout the week. And, um, you know, God's really provided me with a lot of great leaders with a lot of great volunteers on the well youth team, um, that are so invested into these students that they're starting group chats on their own. They're using zooms on their own of, um, you know, just building these relationships with these kids. And what we're finding actually is I think that a lot of these relationships are getting a lot deeper than they were previously, just because we're actually where the students are now, okay. you know? Huh. Now innovation is going to them, not expecting they come to us. And yeah, like what you said too about they're already there. So it's almost like we have to catch up and get there. Yeah, uh, definitely. All right. So with that, I am assuming you're applying lessons like you're, Part of this is learning on the fly, but then another part of it is you've been learning things just in your life uh, as a human, in your life yeah. uh, on the church staff and things of that nature. So what lessons are you applying from a year and a half, let's say, of learning? Yeah. So I've been at Wellspring for a year and a half, and one of the, one of the biggest things that I've learned with working with this staff and just being around you guys is this like – in the innovator die, the adaptability that we have of, you know, you guys were portable for a long time before I got here. And that meant that you were switching the stage, you were switching the room, you were switching how you did everything every single week. And um, that culture of adaptability, it's happened over the, since I've been here of moving into a new building, we need to, you know, changing the entrance, building a GE tent outside, all of these things. It's always like, all right, like we need to adapt to the world that we're in to reach people with the gospel and we'll do anything short um, of sinning to do that, you know, and um, that culture of, a, you know, being able to adapt to where we are right now. This isn't, you know, a lot of people are getting hit real hard with this whole Corona thing and we, we would be getting hit hard too if we didn't already have this um, innovative style of like trying to you know, get through everything. And we will, we are getting through everything. You know, our services have been awesome on a Sunday morning that we're in a service right now, I guess. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, just that innovation has just been a lot of fun and that's something I've learned, you know, I'm going to hear you saying it's not, it's not as much innovate or die. It's more, um, adapt or die. Um, yeah. and so, uh, cool. Well, thanks for taking the time to do this. I'm going to, uh, hit the stop, uh, record. <laughs> what I what I love about that is that that to me is proof not only of a mentoring relationship but a, really a mentoring environment. Jordan is talking about how he he learned adaptation from from a church staff, and I can echo that. I can agree with that, and how he's applying that to the youth ministry. And in the in the midst of everything going on, Jordan is really truly crushing it behind the scenes. Can you name someone like Timothy? 
Can you name a, a, an unselfish individual? Can you, can you think about someone that you have invested time, energy, encouragement, support into, and it's produced something uh, of that caliber, something of, of a Timothy-like person? Are you a friend like that? Do you care for others as Christ would care for them? Are you present? That's important right now in today's age. Are you present? Do you speak the truth? Do, do you strengthen them in their weaknesses? Do you pray for them? Do you, do you provide for them support? So who are you mentoring? Who are you taking under your wing? Or, or do you need to allow somebody to take you under their wing? Maybe there are multiple reasons why that's not happening right now. Maybe, you, maybe you're living a life where you're like, man, I, I want that. I desire that. But nothing's coming my way. No one's, no one's coming my way to take me under their wing. There was probably a season of time where Timothy thought that. My, my mom, my, my grandmother, they're investing into me. And then he hears of Timothy's caliber and then says, I want to mentor you. I don't know exactly how the conversation went, but something like that. So maybe there was a day where he's struggling and then all of a sudden Paul shows up on the scene. Maybe you need to start praying, God, I want to be invested into who will you bring my way? And it might just happen. But for many of us, maybe it's not coming our way because of this all important question. Are you truly teachable? There's a handful of people that I won't give my time to because they're not teachable like a Jordan Arce. He's willing to talk. He's willing to be invested into. And that's worth my time. Are you teachable? So the second example, he, he, he brings out another individual that is, is a noteworthy person with how he's been describing how you and I should be living. He brings out a second individual. He says this, I have, I have thought it necessary to send to you Ephodides, 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 my brother uh, and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your, and your messenger and, and mess, uh, minister that, that to my need, uh, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was in, uh, ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only to him, but also on me. Paul is saying that saving his life was good for Paul and good for him, that there was, there was a mutual blessing there. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow, uh, I am more eager to send him, uh, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Less anxious could also be translated less sorrow, that he's not going to feel the sorrow. Uh, so receive him, with the, uh, receive him in the Lord with all joy, honor, uh, honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. If you look at, uh, if you look at what he says about his, his brother here, he uses that term, brother. There's a whole lot of names being used for, the, for, this, young, for this man. First is brother, which for you and I, like, we throw that term around in a whole bunch of different circles. I'm a brother from another mother. Or hey, bro. Hey, dude. Things of that nature. In the church world, we can, we can say it all sorts of churchy. Oh, my brother. Oh, my sister. We can say things like that. But back in the day, that was an all-important term to call somebody brother or sister because you're aligning them with the, the church. You're aligning them with as a fellow Christian. And so when Christians are being persecuted, to look at them and say, hey, brother, you're aligning yourselves with a persecuted group. So it's a very important term that means you are part of God's family, God's mission. He calls them a worker, someone that's laboring. That him, he, and uh, the Ephroditus and, and Paul are on the same team, laboring after the same mission. He calls them a fellow soldier, that it's a battlefield. 
that we're going to battle together, that there is a spiritual war going on, and I have fought alongside this man. And not only did I fight alongside him, he nearly died on the battlefield for what is going on. He calls him a messenger or a minister, that he's, he's the one sent with a message and with a mission to, to accomplish something, and indeed, he nearly dies for it. Those are some incredible titles. And as, as you read about this description of, of this man, do you see self-pity anywhere? He nearly died. He got sick and nearly died. Do, do you pick up anything here about self-pity? Do you hear? No, what I hear is his concern for other people. His concern for how, how others would, would relate to it. He's concerned with how they might feel. For me, when I get sick, and it might just be a little bit of a runny nose, I'm going up to my room, it's ESPN all day, I'm calling my mama, I'm calling Ava, and somebody better bring me some chicken noodle soup. Life is all about me. But, but for this young man, he's concerned about other people. And he's clarifying, Paul's clarifying that, that this wasn't mission failure. What this was, was he completed the mission and almost died in the process. So when he goes home, don't, don't think that he failed the mission, that he's coming back a loser. No, he's coming back as a homegrown hero. He's not coming back with reservations. He's coming back for commendation. Receive him with, with joy. We don't know much about this man, but he had a critical mission and he carried it out sacrificially that he should be held in honor. That we sometimes think about holding certain church people in honor. We think about holding church people in honor that are the big names, the big wigs in churches, the, the, the man or the woman at the top of an organizational chart. No, the church has been built with unsung heroes, people that are willing to give their lives, sacrifice all. They are the ones that should be held in honor. And so as, as, as Paul was uh, trying to clarify for the Philippians, don't, don't misunderstand what happened with this man. Uh, there are some things going on behind the scenes here at Wellspring. Let me clarify things. I don't think people are necessarily misunderstanding them, but you could. And so we have a guy like Noah who's come on to work the well. Yeah, we're one of the only churches in America that said we're going to start a business during the coronavirus. Oh, that's a lot of fun. But anyway, so Noah's here. He's working on that. And you would be like, well, what is he doing? He's quarantined in a house. Uh, the well hasn't launched up. We're paying the man. Well, I can tell you behind the scenes, he's working 18-hour days trying to figure out a way for DoorDash, Uber Eats, all of those things, takeout, getting creative, creating a menu, doing all those things. Why? To do everything he can to try to make it profitable to work the mission of the church. So don't misunderstand what isn't happening yet because it's going to blow up real, real soon. You can look at a guy like Graham Wilson who, who likes being behind the scenes. He's an introvert, so spending the night on the couch by himself, that's a good thing, oh, blah, 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 whatever. But, but he, you would look at him behind the scenes and be like, well, what's he doing with his time? You know what he's doing with his time? You know how many hits we had last week on social? Before coronavirus, we were getting about 500 hits a week on, on social media, uh, on our weekend experiences in the di digital world. With Graham's work, now we're getting over 5,000 hits. Like that's Graham busting his butt behind the scenes. So when you see Noah, don't question what they're doing. Give them a high five and say, thank you for being an unsung hero. When you see Graham, give him a, when, it's, when we're allowed to touch and do things like that, Graham loves being touched. So go ahead, give him a high five, give him a hug, things of that nature. And, but thank him for being an unsung hero. Paul is giving us an example of someone who risked it all for the gospel. 
Every time you minister to somebody in the name of Jesus, you're taking on an element of risk. You're, mis you're, you're risking being taken advantage of. You're risking being misunderstood. You're risking being ostracized and being, and being isolated. Serving Jesus will cost you, but it is worth it. Do we look at it as worth it? It might mean that we have to change our schedule around. It might mean that we have to travel. It might mean that we'll encounter conflict. It might mean that, that it's going to cost our wallet. So is there something before you that would be risky for ministry or risky in ministry? Do you need to do that? Do you have a friend that you need to risk to go and to help your friend like this young man risked his life to come to Paul? Is there somebody before you that you know you need to go to, you need to risk to minister to them? Or do you know of a friend that is willing to risk it for a friend and you're discouraging them from doing that because it is too risky? Perhaps you're discouraging something that is very likely the will of God to go and to minister. Friendships provide us an opportunity to live out our, 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 our faith selflessly. And so with everything that Paul has said in chapter 2, with, with what we're seeing with these two men's, men's example, our big thought for this online experience is this. It's simple. Three words. Rep Christ well. That should be our focus every single day. But if, if we can even just highlight what's going on in society, you and I need to rep Christ well. Rep him well. It might mean when this is all said and done that a mom who has crushed it for the last two months, you're going to take two weekends and you're going to say, I'm going to give you free babysitting so you can just go and walk Target all you want. It might mean that you consider foster care. It might mean that when you see somebody eating alone in a restaurant that you're going to see, you know what, isolation has not been good for our society. I'm going to eat my meal with this person. It might mean that you tip the delivery driver well. It might mean a hospital visit. In humility, do you consider others more important than yourselves? In humility, do you consider the mission of God of, of something of great worth? These are two men that are examples of a life, a lives that lived well. Two examples of two people that repped Christ well. And what Paul, nothing of what Paul is saying here is, is that there was rivalry or conceit. He's not saying, you know what? I got two superstars of the faith. They can't be together, so I got to kick one to the curb so I can go about the mission. You see that on sports teams. Two superstars that can't get along, so we got to ship one away. No, these are two superstars that weren't in rivalry with each other. They put others first. All three, including Paul, knew what commitment to Christ was. Knew that commitment to Christ was, was losing one's life in order to find it. Was forfeiting the whole world to gain Christ. That's endless growth. You can't Hang on to the world and try to grow in Christ. You have to be all in for Jesus Christ. And there you will find growth. Undivided commitment to Jesus Christ will bring about our endless growth. When we wrap ourselves up in Christ, we will find that we can be both faithful to ourselves and faithful to God. When our lives are wrapped up with, with God, we're not fighting the will of God and the will of me. When my life is wrapped up in God, I can give it all to Christ. And so are you willing to do it all for the sake 
of the gospel. Last week I told you guys I was, I was really struggling. And, uh, and so before they closed the trail up the street, uh, John Vowinski and I uh, went for a run, uh, six feet, all, all that good stuff. He actually, this is uh, the post that John, that John was like, hey John, you can throw a little shade on me and everything. And, uh, and he did. He's like, hey, we stayed six feet afar, apart. Jason was behind me the whole time. Uh, that was offensive, John Vowinski, but thank you for that. And, uh, and so we went running together and, uh, and it honestly did keep, keep everything uh, above board and whatnot. But as we were running, uh, we were talking. And, uh, and as we were talking, he, he was talking about uh, elements of his home and uh, some, some things about being just being a person. As you, as you get older, you can joke around and you can joke around with people that know that you're joking. And, uh, and, and he, was, he was talking about being, being sarcastic, but how younger kids in the house don't understand sarcasm and don't know that it's a joke and so it's taken the wrong way. And uh, that really connected with me because one of my struggles was with one of my sons and uh, who's very sarcastic. He's a very smart kid and sometimes he's too sarcastic, but then if I'm fair to him, sometimes he's sarcastic. It is very funny, but the people on the receiving end don't know that and so it's not taken that way. And so through running with John, that sort of a friendship, that sort of investment showed me that, you know what, I need to talk to my son one way and I can, I can get through to him that way. My struggle this past week was that I wasn't repping the king well, that I was failing to love my family. Love like 1 Corinthians 13, where love is supposed to be patient. Love is supposed to not keep a record of wrongs. Love isn't, isn't allowed to be, it shouldn't be irritable. Those things, impatience and irritableness, were a mark of me, and I wasn't loving my family well. If, if we, need, we need to consider about our lives uh, what is not commendable, what wouldn't be repping Christ well, what is in our lives that isn't noteworthy, what, is, what, is the, what shouldn't be repeated by other people. And then if we're going to identify those things, then it must change. We must say, if I'm going to rep Christ well, those things need to change. So identify what needs to change and then change it. Because if you don't change it, then you're going to fail to represent the king well. And so that's my challenge to us today. Rep Christ well is, is, is our big thought. But then in our big thought, our, our big challenge is, is, is rep it, uh, rep it, rip it, or flip it. Rep it, rip it. Or flip it. So what I mean by that is you have to apply this to your own life. If the challenge is this, that you're going to rep it, you're going to identify something good in your life and you're going to keep on keeping on. You're going to say, you know what? I'm going to see this good thing in my life. I'm not going to make it about me. I'm going to keep repping Christ and I'm going to make it all about Christ. Do that. But then there might be something as we've been talking, living that commendable life, that no worthy life. You might identify something in your life that just flat out shouldn't be there. This is your moment to say, I'm going to take the challenge. I ain't doing the drinking no more. I'm going to take the challenge, the drugs, no more. I'm going to take the challenge. I'm going to rip it. I ain't talking to my drug dealer no more. I'm going, I'm going to take the challenge. I'm done with gossip. I'm done with the negativity on social media. You're, you're identifying something in your life that is not repping Christ well, and you're going to rip it away. I'm done with it. But then that third part of the challenge, I mean, maybe, maybe what you need to do is simply flip something. Maybe it's coming about at something with a different attitude. I've set up my recurring gift on, on, on push pay for giving. I give every single week and I just now it's just habit. Do you, are you growing in that? Or maybe you don't use push pay. Maybe you just give with, with check or another way or maybe you just go on to push pay and give a gift every week but it's a different type of gift but, and you're doing it begrudgingly. I give. I give my 10%. I'm committed. What about flipping it? 
What about seeing the mission of the church? What about coming up at it with a much better attitude? You might need to do the exact same thing that you're doing, but with a whole better attitude. Maybe that's what it means to flip it. So what, what is in your life right now? Do you need to rep it and keep doing it and make Christ the superstar in that thing? Do you need to rip something away from your life and have nothing to do with it? Or do you need to flip something? Keep doing the same thing, but with a much better attitude. When people see you, what do they see? What do they see? Paul will later say in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What do they see? When they see you, are they getting a glimpse of the gospel? Are they getting a glimpse of Jesus? Church, let's go. Let's do it. Thank you for checking out a sermon recorded right here at Wellspring Church in Toms River. If it's your first time connecting with us, we'd love to stay connected with you. So don't forget to like and subscribe to this video. And then down in the description box below, there's ways to give online. There's our social media accounts. We'd love to stay connected with you throughout the week. We love and appreciate you, and we hope you have a fantastic week.